Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. Today's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. So Suzanne and I, my wife, we started dating back in the year 2000, right? And uh, while we were dating, she uh, traveled to Singapore. She's back now. She, did, she does this every year uh, to spend time with family. Uh, but she traveled to Singapore, and this was a time when email was only for work, uh, when video chats were not a thing at all, and calling internationally There was a lot of yelling on the phone. It cost a lot of money, and so we just couldn't do it. So we wrote letters to each other. Uh, We even recorded cassette tapes and would send those to each other. Yes, I was that good of a romantic. Um, We still have them. They're tucked away, and none of you will ever see or read or hear them ever, no matter how much you ask me. But because mail was so, so slow back then... um, I wouldn't necessarily wait for her to respond to my questions, and she wouldn't wait either. So sometimes our replies, they were a little out of sync. It was hard to read. But we wanted to communicate constantly in the only way we had available to us. You know, because we loved each other. We still love each other, but we, you know, we missed each other. We wanted to talk to each other. It's much easier now. I mention this because the Apostle Paul was in the same situation. He was wanting the same thing. There, there were these churches, right? And, and some of them he helped to establish, to set up. But every single one of these churches that he wrote to, they were part of his family. They were part of the unified body of Christ, and he loved them. He missed them, and he wanted them to grow. He wanted them to flourish, so he wrote to them. And now we have them. We have access to them, which gives us this amazing opportunity to learn from Paul's wisdom, from Paul's words, just like maybe some of you want to read the letters I wrote to Suzette to learn from my romantic wisdom. Because, I mean, I must have some game because I got her to marry me eventually. So, now, Over the next few months, what we're going to be doing, what I want to do is spend time looking at these letters from a friend, from Paul. Um, to all these different churches and to uh, a few individuals. And we're going to take a little break, I'll tell you right now, for Palm Sunday and for Easter and Good Friday from this series, but we'll get right back into it, and it'll be going on for a few months. But the idea is that these letters may not have been written to us, but these letters were absolutely written for us. And through these letters to all these different churches, to the churches in Galatia, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae, to Thessalonica... These letters that were written to Timothy and Titus and Philemon. What I want to do is I want us to look at these letters at a higher level, just an overview. And we're going to spend one week per letter. All right? We're going to focus on just the main themes of each. We won't go deep into them. But I want us to look at these letters. Uh, And we're just going to look at the shorter ones, just so you know. All right? Um, So we won't do Corinthians or, or Romans. But we'll get to like eight of the different letters of the 13. But today what I want to do is I want to provide some context, set the stage a bit. Because what I want to do is focus on the author, the writer of the letters, Paul. As I was preparing for today, there's this podcast that I listen to. It's called Five Minutes in Church History. And I, I, I have to admit, as I was writing this, I was thinking, there are probably some who are 
thinking, yeah, that makes sense. It, it makes sense that our pastor listens to a podcast called Five Minutes in Church History. It's kind of nerdy. Um, but I'll tell you, it's a cool podcast, and it's actually very interesting if you're a history buff. But the reason I thought of it is because the description uh, kind of points to why I wanted to focus on Paul today. This is the description of their podcast. It says, travel back in time as we look at the people, events, and even the places that have shaped the story of Christianity. Each episode of Five Minutes in Church History offers an easily digestible glimpse of how the eternal, unchangeable God has worked in the church over prior generations and how this can encourage us today. Because this is our story, our family history. See, looking back at the examples of those who came before us, our, our family history, our church history, this allows us to move forward with wisdom, move forward and be encouraged by examples of past lives, past struggles that have set the stage for us. Knowing and understanding what God has used in our family, our Christian family's past, it better prepares us to live in our present. Because our eternal, unchangeable God worked in the people of the church to be real examples of how we might live faithfully, how we might live our lives as part of the body of Christ. And so learning the stories of our family, our church family, we have examples that we can look at as we strive and try to draw nearer to our Father in heaven and, brings, and bring those around us closer and nearer to our God, too. And so Paul, I think, is one of the best, it's the greatest examples of that. Paul, who was a brother who lived centuries ago, from whom we can still learn so much from his life. And I'll admit, it's a life that if you look at it from a Christian perspective, it started pretty poorly, but became so much more by God's grace and by God's mercy. And so I want to I dive into that, but I'm going to give a little bit of a disclaimer for those of you who grew up in the church. For those of you who grew up in the church, I'm going to say that I understand it's going to be very easy to tune out, today at least. Because you'll probably be thinking potentially that, you know, I get it. It's, it's boring. It's, it's like reading the preface or the introduction to a book. It, you know, it, though it could be helpful, um, it's not required and you might just skip through it. I really don't have very much to say to that other than this. I'm going to ask if you would. Consider, for those of you who are in this situation, being a resource to those who did not grow up in the church. Those who are just starting to get interested in knowing about the history of Scripture, about the history of the saints that came before us. Don't assume that there is the same level of historical knowledge and understanding that you have about the Apostle Paul and his importance to Scripture. Because I would say we don't want to assume anything. We don't want to assume that those around us have that same information readily at hand. So consider just being a resource. Share. Keep me honest. Help others grow with the knowledge that you have. Okay? But let's start together at the beginning. And consider when Paul first gets mentioned in the Bible. Now, Paul is introduced in Scripture with his Jewish name, his Hebrew name, which is Saul. Later on, he goes by his Roman name, Paul. Uh, and, you know, if I thought about it, it's like me, if I had started off with my Korean name, which I'm not going to share with you because there's a whole story around it. But if I started with my Korean name and I switched over to my American one because, you know, I'm in you know, America. It wasn't a new name for Paul. He wasn't renamed from Saul. It was just his other name. 
So he makes that switch over in Acts 13, likely because he was starting his ministry to focus on Gentiles. So he uses his Roman name instead of his Jewish one, his Hebrew one. So I'm going to be switching between Saul and Paul randomly through today's message. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, Luke, who is the author of Luke and Acts, he wrote about the early church. And because it was, well, it wasn't because it was growing like crazy, but it was growing like crazy at the time. And we need to remember that at the time, the church wasn't the church. The church were Jews who believed in something that would eventually be called the way that we know as Christianity. In other words, the people of the early church were Jews who were going to temple, who had in the eyes of Jewish leadership, Jews who were adding to the Torah, adding to the law. So they were considered heretics of the Jewish faith and therefore had to be corrected. And in this story in Acts chapter 6 and 7, the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem were being confronted by the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. One of the deacons, Stephen, he gives this impassioned speech about the fulfillment of the law by Christ and the Jewish leaders. They get pissed. In chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Have you ever been that angry where, where you have no words and all you can do is just clench your teeth? And through this anger, Stephen, though, he's totally at peace, which probably made them even angrier because he's got God on his side. He sees Jesus in front of him. And the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they cannot take it anymore. In verse 58, it says this, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so Saul now enters stage left. He enters as an extra in this story. But what happens here is sets the trajectory for Saul or Paul, whichever name, his early life. It is his origin story. Because in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, this is what Hannah read. Thank you. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, uh, Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so starts the scary journey of righteous anger, of righteous oppression by Saul. Now, in all fairness to Saul, he was fighting for what he believed in as truth. He loved God so much, Yahweh, that he was willing to kill for him. Saul was such a devout Jew that his number one passion, his number one desire was to stamp out any sign of heresy by force. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Paul describes himself as the most authentic and faithful of Jews. He says this, he's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this guy was the model Jew. This was the one who other Jewish kids growing up would look at and say, now that's a Jew. 
that's who I want to be. You know, it's like saying that I want to learn to pray well. So I, I, I look at Cindy or Diana. I want to learn how to invest well. I look at Josh or Jeremy or Paul, not this Ines Paul. I, he's not here, so don't worry about it. I, I want to I learn how to one wheel. So I look at, you know, Adam. That's the guy with the long blonde hair if you want to learn how to one wheel. But Paul was the man. Paul was recognized as a leader, a member of the Jewish political party, a uh, member of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They, you know, these Pharisees, they stress, they don't always live it out, but they definitely emphasize the importance of a meticulous obedience to the law. And Paul was that. Paul was a hero of Hebrews. He was zealous. He was blameless. Or so he thought. Then in Acts 22, verse 3, he gives a little bit more of his testimony. He says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but, being, but brought up in this city, speaking of Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I should just mention Gamaliel, there's... Uh, his reference is, he's referenced in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. He's a leader of the Pharisees. And it says there, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and gave orders and the men outside, to put the men outside for a little while. And they just paid attention. They just listened to his commands because he was that much of a leader. He was a rock star in the Jewish uh, leadership community. So Paul's admission that he was a direct disciple of Gamaliel is like saying, you know, I learned to play basketball from Michael Jordan or something like that. It's just that's how much that gave him clout. So with all this history, Paul's desire, Paul's passion was to advance the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws with zeal. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says this, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. See, Saul totally believed that the Jewish followers of Jesus, the people of the way, that they were dangerous. They were dangerous threats to the truth of the Torah, and Saul was going to do everything within his power to destroy this movement. From imprisonment to execution, it didn't matter. Whatever, thing he, whatever he could do. And then everything changed. What I want to do right now is take a moment to just read from Acts chapter 9. Um, and I want to read it to you, just verses uh, 1 through 19. I want to read from a different translation. So I'll be looking at uh, this tablet here. It's called the Passion Translation. I think it's just trying to preach on it was useless because the actual story itself from the Bible is amazing. And this is what it says there. It says, during those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to the, asked the high priest and requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. See, Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. And just outside the city, 
a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him, falling to the ground. He heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the men accompanying Saul were stunned, speechless. They heard a heavenly voice, but could see no one. And Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. And Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. For three days, he didn't eat or drink and couldn't see a thing. Meanwhile, living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name, Ananias. Yes, Lord? Ananias answered. And the Lord said, Go at once, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You'll find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias, you, coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. But Lord, Ananias replied, um, many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are, who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. And the Lord Yahweh answered him, Arise and go. I've chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. And I'll show him how much he's destined to suffer because of his passion for me. So Ananias left. He found the house where Saul was staying. He went inside and laid hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me to pray for you so that you might see again and, and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And all at once, the crusty, crusty substance that was over Saul's eyes just disappeared, and he could see perfectly. And immediately, he got up and was baptized. And after eating a meal, all his strength had returned. And within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming, Jesus is the Son of God. That's chapter 9. Paul is... I read this, and he's so fascinating to me. His life is, is better than a movie. It turns out, I'll tell you this, I was reading about this. There's been few attempts to actually make a movie of Paul's life, and supposedly Hugh Jackman, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon, they've been trying to do it for like 10 years. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But Paul's conversion is absolutely the stuff of cinema. But it's so much more the stuff of God. The transformational power, the might of Jesus is unbelievably evident in that story. 
And from that point on, Paul is immediately starting to proclaim the truth that he's learned, that Christ has revealed to him, that Jesus is the Son of God, that the man who he thought was a false prophet, was a heretic, was actually the Messiah that the law had been pointing to from the beginning, that Jesus was and Jesus is the promised Savior and the hope for all of the beloved of God. The crucifixion of Christ was not the execution of a misguided zealot. It was part and parcel of God's plan from the very beginning. That the death and the resurrection of the Son of God was exactly how God intended to provide an atoning sacrifice, a reparation for the sins of the world. And that the followers of the way, they weren't suckers. They were saved. And he took every single opportunity he could to use this transformation, to use it all for God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul wrote this. But when he, when he who has set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, he goes on. Paul understood that his life as the persecutor of the church should not stop him from advancing the church. It should be a reminder to him of the might and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ in his life. He needed to go from trying to destroy the church to helping develop the church, to have the truth of God's plan made evident as it was to him, to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And Paul had this, he, he, he did this. He leveraged everything he had to do that. See, Paul was born in Tarsus, as I read, which is a Gentile city. And so this afforded him the opportunity to grow up not only as a Hebrew of Hebrews, but also as a Hellenist. And what that means is that he was Greek. He understood the Greek language. He understood Greek culture. So Paul was multilingual. And Paul was multicultural, something that I think a lot of us in this room are. And he used that. Paul was a Roman citizen. And I know more than one missionary who decided to delay their start in the missionary field until they became American citizens. Because they wanted the security. They want the privileges that American citizenship often provides when you're serving overseas. And so being a Roman citizen for Paul, that afforded him the same thing back in the day. So he, he used his Roman citizenship card very often, whenever he needed to. There's an old TV show, um, and for those of you who are born before 1990 uh, might know this show, because it, it, it was in the 90s. It, it was called The West Wing, right? And there was one episode in that show by Martin Sheen, who plays President Bartlett. He has this little uh, diatribe when talking about an attack by terrorists on Americans, this is what he said. He said, did you know that 2,000 years ago, a Roman citizen could walk across the face of the known world free of the fear of molestation? He could, he could walk across the earth unharmed, cloaked only in the protection of the words civis romanus. I am a Roman citizen. So great was the retribution of Rome, universally understood as certain should, anyone, should any harm befall one of his citizens. Paul had that power. And Paul used that power. Civis Romanus. I am a Roman citizen. Just as he was about to be flogged uh, by Roman soldiers. Civis Romanus. 
See, Paul used his cultural background. Paul used his linguistic abilities. Paul used his citizenship to help him in his work to advance the gospel wherever he could, however he could. He was a good steward of everything God had provided in his life. I start off today's message saying that the life of a faithful servant, um, of the faithful, that have gone, gone before us, these are models, a source of encouragement for us in our own lives, right? Paul's no exception to that. But I don't want you to leave thinking that you have to have this amazing, radical, supernatural experience to be able to fully appreciate and apply Paul's experiences to our own lives. Because we're not Paul. We're not Saul. But I do believe that there are a few things, and I just want to point out three of them that are worth noting as we wrap up today. The first one is this. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 that Hannah read, Paul wrote this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. Paul, the murderer of Christians, the former protector of an incomplete gospel, the destroyer of churches, he understood his lack, and he understood the bounty of God's grace, of his mercy, a grace that proudly proclaims that absolutely no one is beyond God's reach. And as I was writing this, here's a crazy thought. As Putin continues to, to fight his baseless and cruel war against Ukraine, he is not outside of God's reach. Even Putin can become transformed by the mighty power of God. The impossible for humanity is absolutely possible for God. Now, I don't know if this is what will happen. I wish. But the truth that we can rely on is this. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. Not even the worst of sinners who I count myself among sometimes. And if this is true, then this is my encouragement. Never, never give up on anyone. Suzette's mom and dad do not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Come to earth to take on their sins. They, 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 that this is an opportunity for them to enjoy eternity, not only with their daughter, but with the entire family of God, the beloved of God. And as often and as unlikely as it seems sometimes that they will make the decision to accept Christ as the only means of redemption, we're never giving up. We're never going to stop praying for them. Never. That they might find the joy of knowing Christ. That was unexpected, sorry. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. The second thing worth noting is this. Paul always wanted and always worked to live for God. It's just that in the very beginning, he didn't fully understand what that meant. Not until that fateful day on the Damascus Road. He had an incomplete picture of God's design for redemption. God's plan for salvation. But 
Once he saw the full picture, once he understood, he clung to that with all his might. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul explains that he does not, he does not live for the praise and glory of people. He lives for the praise and glory of the Father, the Father in heaven. And the truth of this message, the truth of the gospel was given to him by direct revelation from Jesus and now has been passed on to us in this scripture. So our full understanding of the truth and the impact of the gospel, it comes from a devotion and a dedication to scripture. Our ability to work for, to live for our good, good father, it requires us a better understanding of who our good, good father is. And that better understanding of who he is comes from a devotion to learning and to living what we see in this book, what we see in this Bible. And it means that we encourage one another to to meditate day and night. It means that we strive for a spiritual discipline within ourselves to devote time to God, to draw near to him. And it means we strive for a spiritual discipline in each other to devote time to God and to devote time to the family of God together. This could, you know, practically speaking, include time we spend together every other week, having a meal in adult Sunday school. You know, the program that Kotz and Kevin and Michael are, are leading us through. I'm really looking forward to it this afternoon. It means devoting time to gather not only on Sundays, which I'm really glad to see everyone here, but also in your community groups. And if you don't belong to one, please reach out to Opal. Uh, and she'll help you get connected. Wanting and working to live for God right requires us to know God right The last thing I think we can learn uh, from Paul's life, I think, is this. Our past informs us, but our past does not define us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind And reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. There are so many times in my life, maybe in yours, where mistakes have made me want to just curl up and die, to just give up. I'll tell you, in our early years of our marriage, Suzette's coming out a lot today. She's back from Singapore, so just lots of analogies came into mind. But uh, when Suzette first became a Christian, she came to me and asked me a question that just cut me to the core. She asked me, aren't you supposed to be the head of our household? Aren't you supposed to help me grow in my faith? You're not. I've told this story to others, and I know it kind of makes Suzette feel bad. Um, But I also know this. She understands that that question, this was the major turning point for me. It was my Damascus road. It was, it was the moment where I could either allow my past to dictate our future or I could just let it inform it. I could either let my past disable me or I could realize that my past does not have the power to stop me from submitting to God, to letting God lead me. I'm so grateful that God allowed me to understand that my past simply informs who I am. It does not define who I am. My love for God defines who I am. And my love for God is what allows me to to love my wife, to love my church, 
to love you, the beloved of God. Peter, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and make your way up. Paul is an amazing resource to us. He reminds us that no one is beyond the saving grace of God. Paul reminds us that wanting and working for God, it requires us to know God. And he shows each of us, you and me, that our past, it might inform us, but it does not define us. Only God defines who we are. And over the next few months, we're going to get a chance to learn a lot more of who God is and how we can draw nearer to him through these letters from a friend to his friends. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotb.life. God bless and have a great week.